Chapter thirty seven of Orley Farm by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leonard Wilson. Chapter thirty seven Peregrine's Eloquence. In the last chapter, Peregrine Orme called at Orley Farm with the view of discussing with Lucius Mason the conduct of their respective progenitors. And as will be remembered, the young men agreed in a general way that their progenitors were about to make fools of themselves. Poor Peregrine, however, had other troubles on his mind. Not only had his grandfather been successful in love, but he had been unsuccessful. As he had journeyed home from Noningsby to the Cleeve, in a high-wheeled vehicle which he called his trap, he had determined, being then in a frame of mind somewhat softer than was usual with him, to tell all his troubles to his mother. It sounds as though it were lackadaisical, such a resolve as this on the part of a dashing young man, who had been given to the pursuit of rats, and was now a leader among the sons of Nimrod in the pursuit of foxes. Young men of the present day, when got up for the eyes of the world, look and talk as though they could never tell their mothers anything, as though they were harder than flint and as little in want of a woman's counsel and a woman's help as a colonel of horse on the morning of a battle. But the rigid virility of his outward accoutrements does in no way alter the man of flesh and blood who wears them. The young hero so stern to the eye is, I believe, as often tempted by stress of sentiment to lay bare the sorrow of his heart as is his sister. On this occasion Peregrine said to himself that he would lay bare the sorrow of his heart. He would find out what others thought of that marriage which he had proposed to himself, and then if his mother encouraged him, and his grandfather approved, he would make another attack, beginning on the side of the judge, or perhaps on that of Lady Staveley. But he found that others, as well as he, were laboring under a stress of sentiment, and when about to tell his own tale, he had learned that a tale was to be told to him. He had dined with Lady Mason, his mother, and his grandfather, and the dinner had been very silent. Three of the party were in love, and the fourth was burdened with the telling of the tale. The baronet himself said nothing on the subject, as he and his grandson sat over their wine. But later in the evening Peregrine was summoned to his mother's room, and she, with considerable hesitation and much diffidence, informed him of the coming nuptials. "'Marry Lady Mason,' he had said. "'Yes, Peregrine, why should he not do so if they both wish it?' Peregrine thought that there were many causes and impediments sufficiently just why no such marriage should take place but he had not his arguments ready at his fingers' ends. He was so stunned by the intelligence that he could say but little about it on that occasion. By the few words that he did say, and by the darkness of his countenance, he showed plainly enough that he disapproved. And then his mother said all that she could in the baronet's favour, pointing out that in a pecuniary way Peregrine would receive benefit rather than injury. "'I'm not thinking of the money, mother.' "'No, my dear, but it is right that I should tell you how considerate your grandfather is.' 
all the same i wish you would not marry this woman woman peregrine you should not speak in that way of a friend whom i dearly love oh she is a woman all the same and then he sat sulkily looking at the fire his own stress of sentiment did not admit of free discussion at the present moment and was necessarily postponed on that other affair he was told that his grandfather would be glad to see him on the following morning and then he left his mother your grandfather peregrine asked for my assent said mrs orme and i thought it right to give it this she said to make him understand that it was no longer in her power to oppose the match and she was thoroughly glad that this was so for she would have lacked the courage to oppose sir peregrine in anything on the next morning peregrine saw his grandfather before breakfast his mother came to his room door while he was dressing to whisper a word of caution to him pray be courteous to him she said remember how good he is to you to us both say that you congratulate him but i don't said peregrine ah but peregrine i'll tell you what i'll do mother i'll leave the house altogether and go away if you wish it oh peregrine how can you speak in that way but he's waiting now pray pray be kind in your manner to him he descended with the same sort of feeling which had oppressed him on his return home after his encounter with carroty bob in smithfield since then he had been on enduring good terms with his grandfather but now again all the discomforts of war were imminent good morning sir he said on going into his grandfather's dressing-room good morning peregrine and then there was silence for a moment or two uh, did you see your mother last night yes i did see her and she told you what it is that i propose to do yes sir she told me i hope you understand my boy that it will not in any way affect your own interests injuriously i don't care about that sir one way or the other but i do peregrine having seen to that i think that i have a right to please myself in this matter oh yes sir i know you have the right especially as i can benefit others are you aware that your mother has cordially given her consent to the marriage she told me that you had asked her and that she had agreed to it she would agree to anything peregrine that is not the way in which you should speak of your mother and then the young man stood silent as though there was nothing more to be said indeed he had nothing more to say he did not dare to bring forward in words all the arguments against the marriage which were now crowding themselves into his memory but he could not induce himself to wish the old man joy or to say any of those civil things which are customary on such occasions the baronet sat for a while silent also and a cloud of anger was coming across his brow but he checked that before he spoke well my boy he said and his voice was almost more than usually kind i can understand your thoughts and we will say nothing of them at present all i will ask of you is to treat lady mason in a manner befitting the position in which i intend to place her if you think it will be more comfortable sir i will leave the cleave for time i hope that may not be necessary why should it or at any rate not as yet he added 
as a thought as to his wedding-day occurred to him. And then the interview was over, and in another half-hour they met again at breakfast. In the breakfast-room Lady Mason was also present. Peregrine was the last to enter, and as he did so his grandfather was already standing in his usual place, with the book of prayers in his hand, waiting that the servants should arrange themselves at their chairs before he knelt down. There was no time, then, for much greeting, but Peregrine did shake hands with her as he stepped across to his accustomed corner. He shook hands with her and felt that her hand was very cold, but he did not look at her, nor did he hear any answer given to his muttered words. When they all got up, she remained close to Mrs. Orme, as though she might thus be protected from the anger which she feared from Sir Peregrine's other friends. And at breakfast also she sat close to her, far away from the baronet, and almost hidden by the urn from his grandson. Sitting there she said nothing. Neither in truth did she eat anything. It was a time of great suffering to her, for she knew that her coming could not be welcomed by the young heir. "'It must not be,' she said to herself over and over again. "'Though he turn me out of the house, I must tell him that it cannot be so.' After breakfast Peregrine had ridden over to Orley Farm, and there held his consultation with the other heir. On his returning to the Cleeve he did not go into the house, but having given up his horse to a groom, wandered away among the woods. Lucius Mason had suggested that he, Peregrine Orme, should himself speak to Lady Mason on this matter. He felt that his grandfather would be very angry should he do so. But he did not regard that much. He had filled himself full with the theory of his duties, and he would act up to it. He would see her without telling any one what was his purpose, and put it to her whether she would bring down this destruction on so noble a gentleman. Having thus resolved, he returned to the house when it was already dark, and making his way into the drawing-room, sat himself down before the fire, still thinking of his plan. The room was dark, as such rooms are dark for the last hour or two before dinner in January, and he sat himself in an armchair before the fire, intending to sit there till it would be necessary that he should go to dress. It was an unaccustomed thing with him so to place himself at such a time, or to remain in the drawing-room at all till he came down for a few minutes before dinner. But he did so now, having been thrown out of his usual habits by the cares upon his mind. He had been so seated about a quarter of an hour, and was already nearly asleep, when he heard the rustle of a woman's garment, and looking round with such light as the fire gave him, perceived that Lady Mason was in the room. She had entered very quietly, and was making her way in the dark to a chair which she frequently occupied between the fire and one of the windows, and in doing so she passed so near Peregrine as to touch him with her dress. "'Lady Mason,' he said, speaking in the first place in order that she might know that she was not alone, "'it is almost dark. Shall I ring for candles for you?' She started at hearing his voice, begged his pardon for disturbing him, declined his offer of light, and declared that she was going up again to her own room immediately. But it occurred to him that if it would be well that he should speak to her, 
it would be well that he should do so at once and what opportunity could be more fitting than the present if you are not in a hurry about anything he said would you mind staying here for a few minutes oh no certainly not but he could perceive that her voice trembled in uttering even these few words i think i'd better light a candle he said and then he did light one of those which stood on the corner of the mantelpiece a solitary candle which only seemed to make the gloom of the large room visible she however was standing close to it and would have much preferred that the room would have been left to its darkness uh, won't you sit down for a few minutes and then she sat down i'll just shut the door if you don't mind and then having done so he returned to his own chair and again faced the fire he saw that she was pale and nervous and he did not like to look at her as he spoke he began to reflect also that they might probably be interrupted by his mother and he wished that they could adjourn to some other room that however seemed to be impossible so he summoned up all his courage and began his task i hope you won't think me uncivil lady mason for speaking to you about this affair oh no mr orme i am sure that you will not be uncivil to me of course i cannot help feeling a great concern in it for it's very nearly the same you know as if he were my father indeed if you come to that it's almost worse and i can assure you it has nothing about money that i mind many fellows in my place would be afraid about that but i don't care tuppence what he does in that respect he is so honest and so noble-hearted that i'm sure he won't do me a wrong i hope not mr orme and certainly not in respect to me i only mention it for fear you should misunderstand me but there are other reasons lady mason why this marriage will make me make me very unhappy are there i shall be so unhappy if i make others unhappy you will then i can assure you of that it, it is not only me but your own son i was up with him to-day and he thinks of it the same as i do what did he say mr orme what did he say well i don't exactly remember his words but he made me understand that your marriage with sir peregrine would make him very unhappy he did indeed why do you not see him yourself and talk to him i thought it best to write to him in the first place well now you have written and don't you think it would be well that you should go up and see him you will find that he is quite as strong against it as i am quite peregrine had he known it was using the arguments which were of all the least likely to induce lady mason to pay a visit to orley farm she dreaded the idea of a quarrel with her son and would have made almost any sacrifice to prevent such a misfortune but at the present moment she feared the anger of his words almost more than the anger implied by his absence if this trial could be got over she would return to him and almost throw herself at his feet but till that time might it not be well that they should be apart at any rate these tidings of his discontent could not be efficacious in inducing her to seek him dear lucius she said not addressing herself to her companion 
but speaking her thoughts, I would not willingly give him cause to be discontented with me. He is then very discontented, I can assure you of that. Yes, he and I think differently about all this. Ah, but don't you think you had better speak to him before you quite make up your mind? He is your son, you know, and an uncommon clever fellow, too. He'll know how to say all this much better than I do. Say what, Mr. Orme? Why, of course, you can't expect that anybody will like such a marriage as this, that is, anybody except you and Sir Peregrine. Your mother does not object to it. My mother. But you don't know my mother yet. She would not object to have her head cut off, if anybody wanted it that she cared about. I do not know how it has all been managed, but I suppose Sir Peregrine asked her. Then, of course, she would not object. But look at the common sense of it, Lady Mason. What does the world always say when an old man, like my grandfather, marries a young woman? But I am not— So far she got, and then she stopped herself. We have all liked you very much. I'm sure I have, for one. And I'll go in for you, heart and soul, in this shameful law business. When Lucius asked me, I didn't think anything of going to that scoundrel in Hamworth, and all along I've been delighted that Sir Peregrine took it up. By heavens, I'd be glad to go down to Yorkshire myself, and walk into that fellow who wants to do you this injury. I would indeed, and I'll stand by you as strong as anybody. But, Lady Mason, when it comes to one's grandfather marrying, it, um, it— it—think uh, what people in the county will say of him. If it was your father, and if he had been at the top of the tree all his life, how would you like to see him get a fall, and be laughed at as though he were in the mud just when he was too old ever to get up again? I am not sure whether Lucius Mason, with all his cleverness, could have put the matter much better, or have used a style of oratory more efficacious to the end in view. Peregrine had drawn his picture with a coarse pencil, but he had drawn it strongly, and with graphic effect. And then he paused, not with self-confidence, or as giving his companion time to see how great had been his art, but in want of words, and somewhat confused by the strength of his own thoughts. So he got up and poked the fire, turning his back to it, and then sat down again, "'That is such a deuce of a thing, Lady Mason,' he said, "'that you must not be angry with me for speaking out.' "'Oh, Mr. Orme, I, I am not angry, and I do not know what to say to you.' "'Why don't you speak to Lucius? "'What could he say more than you have said? "'Dear Mr. Orme, I would not injure him, your grandfather, I mean, "'for all that the world holds.' "'You will injure him in the eyes of all his friends.' "'Then I will not do it. "'I will go to him and beg him that it may not be so. "'I will tell him that I cannot. "'Anything will be better than bringing him to sorrow or disgrace.' "'By Jove, but will you really?' Peregrine was startled and almost frightened at the effect of his own eloquence. "'What would the baronet say?' when he learned that he had been talked out of his wife by his grandson. "'Mr. Orme,' continued Lady Mason, 
I am sure you do not understand how this matter has been brought about. If you did, however much it might grieve you, you would not blame me, even in your thoughts. From the first to the last, my only desire has been to obey your grandfather in everything. But you would not marry him out of obedience. I would, and did so intend. I would certainly, if in doing so I did him no injury. You say that your mother would give her life for him. So would I. That or anything else that I could give, without hurting him or others. It was not I that sought for this marriage, nor did I think of it. If you were in my place, Mr. Orme, you would know how difficult it is to refuse. Peregrine again got up, and standing with his back to the fire, thought over it all again. His soft heart almost relented towards the woman who had borne his rough words with so much patient kindness. Had Sir Peregrine been there then, and could he have condescended so far, he might have won his grandson's consent without much trouble. Peregrine, like some other generals, had expended his energy in gaining his victory, and was more ready now to come to easy terms than he would have been had he suffered in the combat. "'Well,' he said, after a while, "'I'm sure that I'm very much obliged to you for the manner in which you have taken what I said to you. Nobody knows about it yet, I suppose, and perhaps if you will talk to the governor—'I will talk to him, Mr. Orme.' "'Thank you, and then perhaps all things may turn out right. I'll go and dress now.' And so saying, he took his departure leaving her to consider how best she might act at this crisis of her life, so that things might go right, if such were possible. The more she thought of it, the less possible it seemed that her affairs should be made to go right. End of chapter 37 of Orley Farm by Anthony Trollope Recording by Leonard Wilson of Springfield, Ohio